Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. My name is Drew Burns, and I'm a part of a small group of dentists who believe something crazy. We believe that the standard of care is just not good enough. We demand the best of ourselves and the best for our patients. We believe that the best way, no, the only way to practice dentistry is on our own terms. If you ask the dental consultants or the corporate CEOs, they tell you that what we're doing isn't smart, that fee-for-service dentistry is dead, and that the golden age of dentistry is over. Yet, while others focus on profits first, we focus on the patient first. And yet our offices are some of the most profitable in the entire country because we invest in ourselves and we are doing things right. It's our name on the door and it's our reputation on the line. My name is Drew Burns and I am a fee-for-service dentist. This is the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast and these are our stories. Today's Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast brought to you by Kettenbach Dental. New from Kettenbach, imagine one product for every cementation protocol, a hydrophilic adhesive cement and a hydrophobic core buildup material combined into one product, Visalis Semcore, compatible with all substrates, all restorative designs. Its unique technology permanently bonds materials using a dual curing phase transfer catalyst. It also features easy peel cleanup, saving time and stress when removing excess cement. Experience why dentists bond permanently with Kettenbach's all-in-one adhesive cement and core buildup, Vesalis Semcore. Call 877-532-2123 or visit us on the web, Kettenbach, K-E-T-T-E-N-B-A-C-H-D-E-N-T.us. Welcome to the fee-for-service podcast. Dr. Sonny Spira still filling in for Drew Burns. We've got a great guest today. He's a good friend of mine. We met at a dental conference. Remember those when people used to go to those? And uh, I think it was in Arizona, right? Um, sure it was. And we've become very good friends and we stay in touch and we get together down the Jersey Shore with our wives too. So it's it's a family affair at this point. So Let's let's bring on Dr. Jerry Rizzo. Let me give you a little bit of his background. He is in private practice in Carlstadt, New Jersey. He is also the associate director of the residency, the dental residency at Hackensack Medical Center. And today we're going to talk a little bit about the education process of the residency and then onboarding with associates. So Jerry, hey, good to see you, brother. How are you? Sonny, man. Thank you for having me on this podcast this is an honor and a privilege i really really appreciate this no problem man i didn't have to break your thumb or nothing you just came right on it was cool i'll tell you you gotta watch these jersey guys they get a little rough you know i know i know i got i'm getting into that jersey lifestyle now a little bit at a time <laughs> gotta have the right connections to get on this podcast and I, I guess i, I do yeah man you know so it's, it's a big window but we close it every now and then so <laughs> so let's go uh, let's go over your background give me a how'd you get into dentistry let's start with that you know, what's really funny is I started in college as an art major. I started in art school. And there you I ended go. up in yeah, medical you're, illustration. 
And, uh, you know, right brainer. Yeah, I really didn't want to be a uh, starving artist, but I, you know, I respect my artist colleagues like to create, like to do things. Uh, Uh Firstborn male. So my father's like, you're going to college because he never went. He owned a grocery store. So uh, was in business as an infant. So, and my. Was um, Was he an immigrant? No, my dad wasn't an immigrant, but um, he had a mom and pop grocery store with my grandfather. Okay. And right attached to it were my two uncles. They had a mom and pop pharmacy. So business was kind of always in my blood. Yeah. Small business. Yeah. Yeah. Small business. So uh, that's where I was born and bred, right in the swamps of Jersey there. Uh, Small business in my my blood. But dad was always, uh, even though my uh, uncles went to college and were pharmacists, my father had gone to um, actually aviation school. He was an airline mechanic and uh, actually was in the Vietnam War. He came back, I uh, guess he had a, enough of uh, working on airplanes and uh, he opened up a mom and pop uh, delicatessen. So, uh, and he was there for a long time, but that's where I cut my chops. Yeah. But he was like, you're going to college, man. And so, so you probably know all about like accounts and, I'll pay you next week. And absolutely. I learned my percentages right off the bat, learned my <laughs> margins right there, learned uh, payables, receivables, payment plan. Pricing. Yeah. Um, and also made a lot of potato salad, cracked a lot of olives, and uh, <laughs> we did everything. I was, uh, did all the manual labor and a little of the book work. So I saw how it worked. And I remember, oh, when my father sold the business, they were just getting into credit cards. And he was like, wow this is crazy. You know, it was all cash, you know, checks, IOUs. So it was, it was really cool. It was a really, really cool thing. You know, I look back uh, all these years later and I, God, I picked up an MBA a couple of years ago. I forgot to put that on my bio. Um, But, you know, you learn more from your formative years probably than you really do in a lot of these schools and programs. There's some Nice little galvanizing moments that you have there. Yeah. It's funny you said that because Jeffrey Hoos, that's how he grew up. His his dad ran a ran the local you know grocery store, and everybody was you know sometimes he got paid in chickens and yeah. and stuff you know like, but you know people needed to eat, and that's how they did it, right? They worked. That's how out. they did it. It all worked, and mankind got by. You know there was right. no internet back then. There was and no, no internet. cell phones, right? How do we do it? You know, there were like things they called newspapers, you know, uh, you actually called people, uh, face-to-face conversations. How about that? You know what? It was like CE was many years ago before (laughs) eye contact and you actually uh, shook hands with people. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. The future of fee-for-service dentistry is based in membership patients. If you need help starting your membership plan, or if your plan is too big for your team to manage, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com to set up your free membership growth solution demo with our team. But, so, um, so you started in art. What gave you, what gave you the dentistry bug, the, the little small business or what? You no, know, it was really the small business. And I, I remember my personal dentist, he had sold to a younger dentist and I was in high school at the time. And he said, uh, it was funny. He was an Italian guy. He goes, art, that's cool. What are you going to do with it? He goes, you probably have great hands. You're Italian. He goes, why don't you give dentistry a shot? And it was kind of a funny thing. And I remember walking out of the appointment with my mother and she goes, why'd you, why'd you think about it? And all I remember was going back to his office the day I got my driver's license and just kind of hanging out with him and, and kind of shooting the breeze of what, you know, the business was all about. And I said, this is kind of cool. And I, I, you know, I put it in the back of my head You know, I really didn't think I was going to go for it. So I had gotten into art school, finished high school. I went to college at the university of Hartford. 
And after about a year of art school, I said, boy, what am I really going to do with this? You know, it was fun. I enjoyed it. It was great. But I needed something a little bit more marketable. So then I really started to say, hey, listen, let me meet with my uh, pre-admissions committees that they had back then. I don't think they probably still have those things. You know? Yep. Yep. And that's when they said, hey, listen, you might want to change your major, get your solid subjects under your belt. And that's what I did. Took all my uh, hard sciences, uh, applied, and boy, oh boy, back in those days, you had to apply it to fill out every application for almost every school. <laughs> mm -hmm. Went and interviewed all over the country and um, ended up at the University of Medicine and Dentistry in New Jersey. Yeah, so, yeah. It was Newark, right? Downtown Newark? Downtown Newark. It was funny because I'd gotten into Fairleigh Dickinson University, which had a great dental school that yeah, was around the corner. That was around the corner from my house. Yeah. And uh, I think the day I interviewed was the day they closed. <laughs> it was like a near riot. So uh, we had all gotten lumped into one big, uh, I guess our admissions had gotten transferred down into University of Medicine and Dentistry where I had already gotten in. I said, you know, coming back home for four years, I really wanted to, uh, I wanted to Know, go maybe to the other side of the country, but I didn't have that discipline. I said, let me let me uh, come back home, come back to the family, so to speak. And uh, it was a great four years. Um, I, as crazy as dental school is, you know, and I, I know some people don't have the, the nicest memories. Uh, in the end, all the bad stuff fades away, and you remember the good. So yeah, uh, yeah. got out, you know, kicked around a couple of jobs, and said, listen, I want to be an owner. And um, really started scratching the pavement, you know, really, I went to, I used to look at um, practices for sale in the New York Times. Yeah. 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 I only came out on uh -huh. Sunday. Uh-huh. So um, looked at practices, practices for sale. I found a uh, couple practices in North Jersey, but nothing really came of it. But after dental school, I did a GPR at Hackensack Medical Center. I met a lot of great mentors there. Mm -hmm. And I remember one of my mentors, Larry Lieberman, he's an orthodontist, retired down, down in Florida. He gave me a call on a Sunday night. He said, listen, I, got a, I know of a guy who's a lab technician who knows of a dentist who's got a practice for sale. Young guy, something must be up. I said, voila. You know, I get the number. Monday morning, I make the call, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock. And uh, by noon, I had met with a lab technician who told me about this practice that was for sale in Karlstadt. And well, we had a baby at the time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was living in a one bedroom apartment, trying to stretch uh, 10 bucks for gas. And I said, let me give this a shot. So I went over and I introduced myself to the gentleman. Turns out he was a young guy, he was about 39, 40, maybe 41. And he was, um, he was sick. He was very sick with lung cancer. Ooh. And, um, and the real kick in the pants was he was a very, very big uh, volunteer in the state of New Jersey um, for the American Cancer Society. Oof. And he had gotten cancer in July. I met him uh, in January, but he had had a relapse and we had a great conversation. He said, listen, I like you. Why don't you come in and work for me? This was like January, like right about now, fourth or fifth, right. very early in the year. And I worked for him for about a week. And he said to me, listen, I'm very sick. I'm very, very ill. Um, I'd like you to run my practice. And um, I think you'd be a good fit here. And he said, let's, uh, let's put some numbers together. And maybe uh, we could work this out. 
So if, if you could imagine the terror that was going through my veins, you know, uh, only about 18 months out of school, getting dumped into a practice, um, it, was, it was daunting. It was really chaotic and crazy. I remember, in fact, in my office here, I have the check with the down payment on it. $2,500 initial check just to get my loan. So, and all, I learned so much about business in that one first month of my practice life, you know, about mortgages and what, what's a bank mortgage and is it better if we have a bank mortgage or if the owner holds the mortgage? Oh my goodness, what's better? What, what, yeah, it, all of a sudden it became unbelievably and let me ask. Let me ask you this: the dentist that gave you the idea of going into dentistry was he part of your life? He is. He's always been part of my life. He's been a mentor, and his name is Dr. Lou Vita. Okay. And uh, right now he's a big uh, he's a big TMJ guy. He's over in Clifton, New Jersey. Okay. And I had been I had done my residency in at Hackensack Medical Center in '94, and he was a big big. Uh, TMJ guy, really big. I had the Panky Dawson, the whole nine yards. Okay. So he had done that. But many years later, when I was already involved at Hackensack Medical Center um, and I was already on staff, he was applying. So I thought it was kind of funny. So now, like, <laughs> I was like, oh, well, do I have to vote on this gentleman? You know? <laughs> so many years later, you know, he's there, he's giving lectures, and I always razz him. I go, you know, I'm the guy who got you on this, uh, got you involved here. But <laughs> It was a far cry from that. But yeah, we're still great friends. I see him almost every week and he's, he's still the guy I go to. You know, he's like the dentist dentist. Yeah. You know, and I have a question about long centric or, you know, cranial base, cranial facial growth, you know, and how it affects the occlusion. He's got it all. He's got it all down pat. He's been down to Piper. He's, so he's, he's still a big, big influence in my career, you know, at this point. Okay. So, so talk about the practice that you got into now. So you're in there, you said you're in there for a couple of weeks and he already, he kind of lays it on you says, I'm, I'm real sick. And then, yeah. So, so imagine this, you know, this guy lays it on me. He says, um, I like you. Here's how we're going to do it. Um, come up with 50 grand. I'll hold the note and uh, we'll work out something very fair. And uh, we laid out the terms. He, I came up with 50,000. I think I had 25,000, I think I had to borrow 25,000 for the down payment. So I had borrowed half of the down payment. Right. Yeah. He, he held the other 250,000 for the practice. And he said, you're gonna be fine here. All I want you to do is just treat everybody the way you would treat your, uh, your family. Right. And good things will happen. He goes, before you know it, you'll have this whole place paid off. And Wow, he he sold it to me. I'll never forget. He sold it. He sold it to me on March 12th. That was my mom's birthday. And on April 1st, he passed. Oh, so it was just two weeks. Yeah, it was just unbelievable. And going to his wake, all I remember is, you know, till this day, people come in the office that know him, that that were his original patients. You know, they're in their 80s and 90s. Uh, we had a woman over a hundred in. Um it, it, his his soul is still there. Yeah. And when I walk into that office every every day, I still feel like I owe him. You know, it still brings tears to my eyes. And when somebody's like now, I've been there 28 years, well, 26 years, 28 years in dentistry. Somebody said, sell it. I said, well, it's like selling a piece of my soul. I got to, yeah. I'm not just going to sell this like a 
Mm -hmm. like a ham sandwich, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But walking in there was daunting. Um, going to his wake, everybody loved him. Everybody listened to what listened to what he said. I remember as he was dying, going to his house, and people were going to his house to say goodbye. It looked more like a New Year's Eve party. You know, people were laughing and smiling and sharing great stories about him. Wow. So I had a I had a lot of weight on my shoulders, and all so, I remember is putting my head down and just working away. <laughs> so you bought the practice. And the building or just practice? I bought the practice and I bought the building 10 years later. 10 years later. Okay. Yeah. Did he own both at the time? He owned both. Okay. And now I own both. What, and, what, type, uh, what type of business was it? What type of practice was it? Now, it was, it was a funny practice. I mean, it was one of these practices where he was such a great guy. He was like the salt of the earth. Everybody loved him. He had, it was a very blue collar practice. Uh -huh. Okay. Uh, no, I, and I was the new guy coming in and I was going to put a computer in every room. But all I remember this practice was uh, old fashioned for, for a young guy. It's kind of old fashioned. He had the uh, mercury and bottles laying all around. Oh yeah. 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 He had you have the little amalgamator that had the, the powder capsule and then the mercury yeah. capsule. The German oh, yeah. Thing. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, had, so did my guy. <laughs> he bought it from a guy who had built the building as a state of the art dental practice in 1951. In fact, I still have the blue actually blueprints from it. <laughs> and all I remember is that in the basement, there were all these looked like barber chairs. They were made out of cast iron. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and, but I, he had bought a couple of new chairs and uh, all I remember was going in there and saying, how do I do an amalgam that where the amalgam looked like water? You know, he had to mix them. I didn't know how to mix mercury. <laughs> yeah. It was like sort of science class and, you know, no wedges because they were too expensive. You used to just break a, um, uh, a cotton tip applicator in between the teeth. I said, Oh boy, I'm going to be the guy with high overhead because I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to buy the wizard wedges. I'm going to go for broke. But it was a, um, oh, I remember knotty pine paneling, plastic plants, and um, some real gaudy, ugly furniture in the waiting room mm -hmm. that was there since probably the dentist he bought it from. This guy, everybody had paneling. Everybody. Yeah. Had yeah. And it was evolution, not revolution. It was just every, I could. <laughs> what, what, what was the makeup of the practice in terms of insurance? Like, were you able to do your due diligence when you went in? Were you comparing it to other practices you bought? I mean. No, not at all. Just I just went totally on gut feel. Totally on gut feeling. I knew it was a good area. I, my parents, my, my family was from the area. It's kind of funny, you know, it's North Jersey. Every town is one square mile and every town is its own empire. Um, my father was, uh, my father had worked in the liquor store down the street when he was 18. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, there was a pharmacy across the street at one point in time that my uncles worked out when they got out of pharmacy school. It was, it was kind of weird and, and almost cosmic, but I did it on gut. I said, listen, it's, we had, I had looked at other practices all over the state of New Jersey but nobody knew who I was there. Um, you know, I was, I just didn't feel like a good fit. So I bought this totally on feel and, and it was, it was chaotic. It was so, totally so, chaotic. So you're in it and you now got to learn oh, about insurances, uh, collections, and yep. you got to learn the business of dentistry at the same time of, of your right. but your background, the small business background had to help a little bit. Oh, it helped a ton. Are you uh, kidding me? Um, I learned about a one right system and a pegboard system. Really, yeah, really. We had that same thing, the triple right. And, the triple yeah. Right. 
and you know, at the time I was, I was like the new kid, I'm going to put a computer in every operatory. So <laughs> imagine everybody looking at me like, who is this guy? He's going to, he's going to turn this place upside down. Don't change anything. So, um, I, it, oh, I bought it in 96 and we stumbled along for about, about two years, um, until I put in a computer. And all I remember was going to, um, back then it was soft end. Yep. And I said, was, you know, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with this new company, uh, Dentrix. Easy Dental and Soft Dent were the yeah. number one. Number two. Easy Dental too. Remember that? Oh my goodness. But I went with Dentrix and I didn't know what if I was going to go with DOS or this new kind of Windows program. So uh, I chose Windows. So uh, <laughs> I, that's what we did. And we, yep. we slowly, I don't want to say it was an illegitimate practice, but we brought it from the doldrums of a really old, old operating system. I mean, it was crazy. Um, to, uh, we computerized it slowly but surely. Um, what, what was the business aspect of the practice? Was it insurance-based? Were you guys in network? Talk a little bit about that part. He was in, she was in network only at the time with Delta Dental. Oh, because okay. the teachers and the DPW guys in Carlstadt, New Jersey, and the police all took, all had Delta Dental. Oh, uh, Delta Dental. And all they would do is they, when I, all I remember, it was so unorganized, Sonny, it, you would have laughed. You know, looking back now, I'm like, why did I buy this? But I looked at it as there was so much untapped potential there. Okay. I mean, there was just dentistry was like a handshake and, uh, and I'm not knocking, you know, anybody, any of my, my predecessors, but it was dentistry, you know, a thumb packed amalgam, you know, slap on the back and we'll take care of you when it breaks, you know, uh, crown and bridge was just, um, we'll charge you for the abutments, not for the pontics. And how does this price sound? So it was really, really, really old school. So I, I kind of went in there and said, listen, you're not billing out for half of what you're doing. You know, probably more than that. I could get a feel for that. I said, boy, oh boy, if I, uh, all I need is X amount of dollars and I, uh, I make some money. And that's the way I, I, I worked it. I knew my overhead right away. I knew what my monthly uh, nut was to crack and uh, went from there. Mm -hmm. um, I just knew the gross numbers. I knew this is what I got to do a month to hit the mortgage. This is what I could do per month to take out a little salary for me and pay my bills, start paying my loans back. And I just did it in a basically a big gross method. That's all. And I said, now let me get it. It took me about six months uh, to basically go through drawers and drawers and drawers of patients in these big four tier file cabinets. Literally, I would get up four in the morning, stay till 10 at night making, uh, oh, the ledger cards for patients, just, yeah. just to find out what we have as far as patients. And it was funny because after one year, all I remember was we were able to do more in gross numbers than he had done in his best year. I said, all right. And it wasn't even a full year. It was really like yep. nine months. Yep. So I was like, all right, there's something here. Mm -hmm. There's definitely something here. And all I want, what I really, um, really had to do with that practice was really legitimize the onboarding, the treatment planning. You know, nobody had a full mouth series. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you want a partial, you get a partial. All right. Yep. <laughs> and and that's really what I had to do is put more systems and processes in place. Mm -hmm. And that's basically what I did. Slowly brought computers into each operatory. I was radical. I put x-ray machines in each operatory. Mm -hmm. Um bought a couple new units. Um everybody he was opening at like nine o'clock. I said, Oh, I'm gonna move that to eight o'clock. 
Mm -hmm. We moved it to 7.30, into 7. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we did stuff like that. Never Uh worked a Wednesday there. In all these years, I've owned it. (laughs) Uh It's always been closed on a Wednesday. But it just really, it really worked around just organizing the business part. That's old school dentistry, though. Everybody was off Wednesday. That was golf day. That was golf day, yeah. (laughs) But the bonus I gave to the uh, ladies when I got there was... um, they used to work Fridays till four. They had a lunch and we'd come back for like, you know, two hours. I said, how about we just work till two <laughs> and I'll pay you for the extra hour. and we'll forget about lunch. And that's always been my credo Friday till two, never later. Right. Okay. So, so you got this now, at what point did you, or did you make any changes to your business systems? Like, did you join plans, drop plans? What did you do? Well, as years went on, I was able to attract more insurance and it was indemnity insurance at that point in time. It's kind of like pre-PPO, you know, we're still in the, you know, we're, we haven't really hit 2000. And you know, it's funny, as I get older, I lose my memory. When did really PPOs really start to hit? I mean, was it early 2000s, I'm thinking? Don't know. You know, it's kind of funny. Yeah, I used to have a lot of great business conversations with my dad. In fact, I had, a, I had one good one the other day. But, you know, in business, if you're not growing, you know, you're shrinking. Right, 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 and, right. Uh, and all I said, well, how do I grow? We take more insurance. We look to attract more patients. Mm-hmm. And again, this is all pre-internet. This is all pre-internet, pre, uh, you know, pre, uh, it's still print. You're still advertising in newspapers and mm-hmm. on, on, on uh, church bulletins and stuff like that. You just got involved in the community, coaching Little League, you know, stuff mm-hmm. like that. And we slowly, we slowly, we built up, we had a big patient base to start, but the patient base, it became more organized and more systemized. Um, So we were able to attract patients through word of mouth and we were able to provide a a level of service because we took their insurance as the years went, went by. Mm -hmm. So uh, it just grew bigger and bigger and bigger um, to the point where we went from, I mean, the building I bought had, um, it's an, combination office building apartment building and Mm -hmm. nice to have this one little uh, apartment (laughs) on the first floor in the corner with three chairs and knotty pine paneling Mm -hmm. uh, after i bought the building i remember saying uh boy i'd love to have the whole first floor Mm -hmm. and we uh while we were running that little three chair practice we uh went to the apartment next door and gutted it and put another chair in put a little business office in and then we put another chair in on top of that and we got up to five chairs and and I said, boy, it's just me running around like a nut, you know, from one hygienist to two hygienists to, boy, we should think about an associate. So it just kind of grew, you know, organically. And it really grew because, you know, my wife always said, you know, we all, we all perform the same service, but people are going to buy on the way you make them feel. Right. So, yep. I mean, that was, we covered a lot of years here, yeah. <laughs> but it, a, a lot went on as far as building team, as far as just building Building a feel mm-hmm. um, and, and being open, being available, you know, going gotcha. into those early morning hours. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah it was me. I mean, I was used to the later hours because when I first started as an associate, I was working the one to seven times around the other two doctors. Then, then when I got and bought my own practice, he had some early mornings and, and some evenings. I was doing everything. But then I, I said, all right, before work, 7 a.m., that's the busiest time. I mean, that's those appointments are like gold you know isn't it great it's it, right, it jumps like a on that. 
yeah, yeah come nine nine thirty, I'm like, I'm, I'm like, you know, most people are just getting their first cup of coffee. I'm like, I'm, I'm halfway through here, you know. Yeah, that's what I love about it. You know, yeah. well, we were talking about that. Um, I have an associate now, and you know, I have a team now that's been in place for a number of years. So we built them slowly, and I said, boy, you know what, my my dream practice would be to be to work from six a.m. to twelve. You know, mm-hmm. and I, I have a very, very large Polish community, yeah. me, and they are just fantastically loyal people. And if I opened at six, I'd have a line outside the door. You know? Yeah, yeah, you and, could. And, sure, you could. I, we did that when we had the flood. When we got flooded in one office, we moved everything to the other office. We worked from six a.m. to nine p.m. And and well, because we had two offices mixed into one, we took you know we took a break at twelve. We took a break at five. And we weren't able, we didn't have to lay off a single person. We were able to see, you know, combine everything and, and make do until we got that office cleaned up and back up and running. But it was a little monumental test, but that 6 a.m. appointment, you're right, man. I was, we were jamming, you know? It's, 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 it's all transactional. It's like a gym. Those like 6 a.m. gym people are loyal. They're yeah. there no matter what. I mean, it rains, shines, sleet, hail, either they're dead or somebody in the family died. That's why they won't show up. Well, people was, work third shift, they come right over. Yeah. People that work first shift are going to come in before they start. So you kind of have a you kind of a nice mix, depending on your your business clientele, right, of the area. So we, yeah. we found it to be helpful. All right, so let's let's talk about. So now you got. When did you get into in, involved with Hackensack Medical Center? When did you get involved? You know, I did my residency there back in '94. Okay, yeah. and again, bought my practice, uh, and it was you know all eyes on that. I'd say, you know, it was about around 06, 07, I started to feel like, you know, I'm working myself to death and I'm burning out. And I didn't want to just practice solo in a cubicle. And right. then, um, I said, boy, you know, that's just a, ter- is a wonderful way to live, but a terrible way to die. And yep. I saw some older dentists at the um, dental society meetings. And I actually started to run into a couple of my mentors. Uh, one is uh, Jim Ruggiero. Um, and I ran into uh, Dr. Lou Vita. And, um, you know, way leads to way. You start making some phone calls. And I remember there was a uh, Dr. Michael Beals who took, took over the residency program, um, I would say back in 04, 05. Right. And uh, he was looking to expand it. You know, we just used to have five residents and he got it up to eight residents. And he was looking for volunteers. Volunteered at that point. Um, and after that, uh, he had left the program, turned it over to another gentleman, and it went from eight residents to 18 residents. And about eh, about eight years ago, they said, hey, are you interested in a job? <laughs> mm-hmm. So while well, I got Wednesdays off, they said, we need you for a day and a half a week. And uh, became the associate director at Hackensack Medical Center. So uh, we've got a core of us, and we run this nice little GPR program. Uh, where we have um, 18 residents coming in from all over the country. And that's where my life changed. That's where everything, you know, I always wanted to be a great dentist. You know, that was the bottom line. But that was like uh, scene two, you know, act one, where you were with, you know, I was with all my mentors. I was with some, you know, what I call the heavy hitters, people that really inspired me. And uh, really had to get on top of my game, you know, because now not only do I have to, uh, uh, know my stuff but I have to show I know it mm-hmm. <laughs> so and we're at, we were in a very very big hospital right now Hackensack Medical Center I don't know if you know it's one of the largest healthcare providers in the state you know it it's used big. to be a little little sleepy hospital now uh 
now it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, it's no, it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so you now you, so you take the day and a half. So, you know, as part of our topic, let's talk about, we talked about the residency program. Talk about some of the things that you've either seen or implemented or changed about the residency program for some people who might be a few years removed from it. Well, the residency program is very unique. Um, and what's nice about it is we all have a different perspective on what residents need to know. Um, and they, we have a very, very diverse group from all over the country. So um, some come from a lot of experience where they'll see, they've done multiple procedures, uh, almost mind boggling to um, some residents have basically done one or two procedures or observed, observed procedures, you know? So we had one resident who observed uh, an immediate denture. It's like, okay. So that being get worse said, too with the COVID kids. So yeah. 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 With COVID, we almost became a de facto dental school. You know, mm -hmm. we uh, really had to watch that. Yeah. Um, but from my perspective, um, I noticed when I was a young dentist, I didn't understand the process or what were the, what were the steps? And what I like to do is put everything into simple systems. You know, how should we think about doing this? You know, from a simple class two to an entire quadrant of MODs and, you know, an entire quadrant of operative and an entire quadrant of fixed. How do we go about thinking about this? So my thing was really to uh, put things into process, uh, innovate through process, and a little bit of technology, you know. Um, so when you, you talk know, about the process, are you talking about putting the process into the institution side, or you talk about teaching the dentist the process? Uh, I'm talking about teaching the dentist the clinical process. There you go. Um, okay. That that's really where I like. That's where for me, that's where the rubber meets the road. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, I love to take you know a young dentist you know under my wing, and they don't know where to start as far as treatment planning. You know, dental school treatment planning is tried and true, but there's also the real world, you know, and there's a, how do you develop a treatment plan and how do you execute on it? You know, how do you, how do you complete a, a extraction and a three unit bridge and a couple fillings and a scaling and root planning in less than 335 visits? Okay. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> how yep. do you actually get a patient across the finish line and into recall? Uh, how do you know when to treat you know, th those are the processes that I really like to develop, you know, those specific and particular plans that each individual needs and each resident needs, you know, because some will be so strong in some areas. So how do you and do it? How, how do you do, how do, it? I do you, it? Do you meet with them? Do you, what's, what's the implementation part now? Uh, now? The implementation part is I do it on an individual basis. Gotcha. Okay. So every resident will have a group of uh, patients they need to treat and plan from right from the bottom up and they'll come to me and they'll say, listen, this treatment plan I have, uh, what do you think? And uh, we'll, I'll approve it or, or we'll talk about it. You know, we'll say, well, does this fit the patient? Um, you know, if a patient with rampant caries, is it better for a full, full, full? Or are we, um, why do they have rampant caries? Rampant caries, uh, post-radiation treatment, you know, um, what's the etiology? So we, we talk about the whole patient. And what, what's our, what's the patient's goals and, and how could we help the patient achieve their goals? And then from there, we basically break it down to a series of operative steps um, and just writing out treatment plans again and again and again, uh, and then bringing it into a clinical at, um, plan where we could actually 
make it so that these treatment plans can be executed in a couple of visits or so. You know, uh -huh. that's where we're going with that. So, do, do the residents have the ability to schedule appointments as they see fit? Yes, they do. They will be the masters of their own destiny. Okay. Um, we, um, it's funny because in the, in the beginning of the program, you know, they're going to do a, uh, let's say a molar endo and they'll want the afternoon, <laughs> you yeah. know, and then by the end of the one year program, they're like, Ooh, I could complete the endo maybe in a one or two visits. I'm like, yeah, that's where we're kind of going with that. So we want to, we want to get them proficient and up to speed so they could kind of hit the real world with the ground, hit the ground running when they get into the real world. That's where we really like to go. Give, give me a real example in, in that term, a, someone, a guy or a gal who starts what their day might look like, and then what is it when they leave you? What it looks like when they start is mostly new patients. Okay. Right? We have new patients and emergencies. And basically what they have to learn to do is how to take a new patient, um, prescribe all the x-rays, now they have dental assistance, um, go over the medical history, develop and present a treatment plan. And mm -hmm. they'll see maybe three or four people a day, just maybe that first week or two. Um, the surprise is, is they could get emergencies at any point in time. So let me, so let me ask you, you got that patient, they got, they got a patient. Let's go, let's get a concrete example. Person needs two MO, three MOD, four MOD, five MO or five DO, right? Okay. Upper right quadrant, pretty much all your interproximals are, are there. What would they schedule? What would that schedule look like <laughs> August 2nd? And then what would it look like June 15th? <laughs> <laughs> August 2nd, it would look like one patient. Uh, it would look like two fillings at a time. Okay. Okay. And a couple emergencies scattered in and a couple scheduled patients. Um, and by the end of the residency program, it would look like uh, try to do as many fillings as possible within an hour, an hour and a half. Uh -huh. to get that patient done. Uh, with an emergency before, maybe a post-op during, and uh, maybe a crown prep or two after. So, so do you teach them the gaps and things to look for when you need when you can get up? Do they have to check hygiene? What do they got? Uh, we don't uh, we don't have a hygiene at this point in time, and it's funny because you know what I noticed that's very big. Uh, what really needs to be developed, and. Um, my wife would shoot me dead if she hears this, um, is to how to run multiple chairs effectively. Uh -huh. you know? And I think, you know, that's, that's a daunting thing when you get into private practice. Yeah. Uh, when, I, when I bought my practice, it was plenty busy. You know, we stayed busy. It was just crazy. So you learn how to kind of thrive in that chaos. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I always say this, Jared, when you look at your schedule, you can look at it vertically. Mm -hmm. But as you want to become more efficient, you got to look at it horizontally. Absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. I think the problem is that I think maybe guys like us are always looking at it horizontal. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, we could drive some of our team crazy. Yeah. I could get that. Yeah. In. Do that right here. Yeah. Yeah. Doctor, stay away. Yeah. Stay away from the book. <laughs> or you tell your assistant, we could sneak that in. Go tell the desk. Yeah. yeah. Doctor, doctor add on. That's what they call you. Doctor. There you go. <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny because, you know, every resident has a, a skill set. Doesn't yep. mean one's good or bad. Um, and I, all our residents have different levels of interest. I remember one year we had, we have all our residents place implants. We have all our residents restore implants. Uh -huh. uh, we had a resident a couple of years back, many years back, who was just so into implants. He wanted implantology from day one. I think he had placed like 30, 35 implants. 
which is pretty pretty aggressive for a residency program. Yeah. And he was in every um, all of our attendees. We have like 75 attendees at this point in time, general generalists and specialists. And in fact, in our program, we even do an office rotation. You know, and this resident um, was in all of our offices all the time. I mean, the residency program, the hours are 8 a.m. to 4.30. He was there at 4.30 in all our offices every weekend, every night. And you always catch that that one or two, you know, kind of, I call them, they're special, but they're mavericks. They're, they're ready for prime time. They're ready to go. He's driven. Yeah, he's driven. She. They're driven. Yeah. She. Women, women now. Women are very driven. Well, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, you know, pigeonhole it, but they, you know, that dentist, you yeah. know, sure. I'm amazed so. by the younger crew. You know, what's funny is now is the, there's such an amount of coloring that's going on. Um, I'm slowly going digital. I mean, obviously we have digital radiographs, but uh, just got into iTero in the last year. Okay. Uh-huh. And uh, a couple of my residents are, they were scanning in dental school. Yeah, and they're coming over to show me how to do it. They're uh, coming over and they're showing me some shortcuts. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because they have analog questions and I have digital questions, and that's just such a great way to learn. I just love that. After all these yeah, years, keeps you young, doesn't it? Yeah, and you know what? I can't figure out how to grow it. You got more hair than me, but you know, <laughs> anything that could keep me young, I'll attach on to. <laughs> all right, so so let's take this now to the next step. So now we talked about. Um, so we talked about, you know, the, the associate, the, excuse me, the uh, residency. Now let's talk about bringing those docs in as associateships. What are some of the things you do with onboarding? Ah, in my office or in, uh, in, my well, in your office or recommended for any office? Well, right now for mm-hmm. onboarding, I always, what I have a lot of more residents do just right now, cause they're looking for jobs. I tell them, keep a portfolio of your work. Okay, because I think that's great to sell yourself with. Okay, mm-hmm. so they go for their first job. But onboarding it, I tell all my young residents, because right now when they get into the game, they're worried about how am I getting paid and what am I going to do? I say, listen, first of all, your first job is probably not your last. Okay, it's like, uh, it's like playing a sport. You want to get on the field, right? It's like basketball. Yeah. You're not going to be a starter right off the bat. Just get, get some playing time. So yes. we have a, a lot of our residents, so Moonlight, um, on Saturdays, which is great. Mm-hmm. And they'll get their feet wet. But onboarding anybody into a new office, and I go, let's use my office by example, has to be kind of like a very, very particular, meticulous process. Okay, I'll, I'll take any new associate I have and I'll start them off right in hygiene, just introducing them on that first week during the exams. This right. is, you know, somebody who I trust implicitly, somebody who I've handpicked. Yeah. Um, and then we'll start with, you know, simple operative dentistry, you know, as much operative dentistry as we can. Very easy. It's not daunting. There's no, no, uh, nothing really scary to get into. Mm-hmm. Uh, bring them from operative to a unit or two are fixed and, you know, keep them comfortable, you know, and we'll get involved. So it's fixed, removable. Uh, after usually a month or two of basically hand feeding them some treatment plans that I've developed, I let them develop their own treatment and again, we're talking significant treatment plans. Um, you know, a couple pieces of operative and a couple pieces of fixed are great. Uh-huh. But one thing I found that's a great, great practice builder for a young associate in any practice is to handle any emergencies, mm-hmm. you know, new patient emergencies. Um, 
I know our process at our office, um, all new patients are going are gonna to get a pan, some bite wings, whole set of intraoral photos. It's a whole onboarding process. Uh-huh. And uh, we got a 55-inch screen in front of everybody in every operatory. So even yeah. an emergency, first time only, you're, you're going you're gonna to try to get a full set of films? Yeah, I'll, I'll get a pan right off the bat because I always want to know how that tooth is going to, and I want my associates to know that we're, you know, we can treat the tooth, the whole tooth and nothing but the tooth. We got it. Totally got it. Right. Um, but is that going to be a simple extraction on 12 or is that going to be an extract prep and temp 11, 12, 13, or is it going to be extraction immediate implant? Is there right. some palliative we could do? Or are we looking at this tooth number 12, for example, and the whole dentition is terminal? Yeah, she got seven other bombed out teeth. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. We're looking at a full, full. You know, patients see some of these pictures and we always ask permission. Um, and we like that process. The patient will, the patient will uh, discover what they have and uh-huh. usually motivates them and, and they tend to go for better treatment rather than single tooth dentistry. Mm-hmm. Not that there's anything wrong with single tooth dentistry. Sometimes it's very indicated. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the process that we like to, to uh, uh, work in our office. And that's... Um, I like that because it leads to so much more full mouth dentistry, patient retention, patient motivation. And uh, I think it's just a better business model in, in mm-hmm. my, in my, um, but you know, with COVID, right. You know, the whole, the whole world changes, the field, the playing field changes. And during COVID, it was a, a heck of a lot different, you know, when we were only seeing emergencies and it's just single tooth dentistry at that point. But, right. Yeah, that's that's what I um. So what what, we, what do you do for your uh? Oh, what what did uh, uh, calibration? How do you help calibrate the associate? Ooh. I know I just learned that word from Tom Grass, by the way. But how do you calibrate? Whoa. Uh, or how do you you know basically keep keep an eye? Or how do you review quality control? You know, ah, that comes in with our front desk. Okay, we have a system where we call patients at night. Mm-hmm. making sure they're okay. I always ask our associates too, to check up on them. Um, and one of the, you know, it's funny. That's one of our, that's probably our sole process is that follow-up call, right? Uh, how do you feel? How are you feeling? Um, not will you be returning? We don't ask open and close then questions like that. Right. Um, that, and it's funny because I'll, I'll always walk around our office and I don't say it's my office, it's our office at this point. And I'll, whenever I stick my head in a room for exam, hygiene check, new patient, associate exam, I'll, I'll say, um, how are we making you feel? How are we treating you? And it's almost always the thumbs up. You know, mm-hmm. it's very rarely somebody has a major complaint. And that's always a good thing. Um, that post-op call really, really says a lot. Um, we will come up every now and then with a, um, with a situation where there is a, Broken filling, you know, porcelain chips off a crown. Uh, bite needs to be adjusted. We're uh-huh. going to get that. Most of the stuff we'll pick up um, on the post-op call. You know, that's that's really where we pick up a lot of our. That's where I could calibrate my. Do you spend well Do you spend time with the associates and review like the treatment plans, like you do in the residency? Do you review, you know, the follow-up? Hey, how would you handle this? Patient presents like this. I mean. Because most docs, I think, are busy. They don't put the time into that part of it. And I think it's essential. You know, my associate right now is actually, it's actually, she's actually one of my ex-residents. So I had, <laughs> had a whole residency to develop that with. Uh, mm-hmm. So I was kind of ahead of the game at that, at that point. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there is um, there is a disconnect. I see that in busier offices, and I see that with, with other associates. You know, when I talk to other associates from other practices, they feel that they're not getting mentored enough. Yeah, um, and that's that's a big thing. I think if you could find a, a practice owner who has the time to mentor you, I think it's a good thing. Um, I always like co-diagnosis. I tell uh, my uh, associate, I said, if there's ever a question you have, you know, don't be afraid to call me in the room, you know, or, or something you want to show me. And we'll do it tactfully. Um, and she'll walk in uh, in my room, you know, and say, hey, listen, or I'll show her like a case I'm working on. Hey, this you is guys, So do you guys work similar hours then? Uh, we work almost the same hours, yeah. Okay, well, that's so, helpful. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Um, complimentary I, uh, hours, you can't, right, when you're not yeah. there. So that's, um, I will not be there on Tuesday afternoons when she's there. So it's kind of nice. She's Mm -hmm. all set up, knows what's coming in. And uh, cell phone's always on. Uh, We're always communicating. We're always sending texts back and forth. But uh, what really, really helps us out are the flat screen TVs in every room. Just Mm -hmm. photos, 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 photo document, documenting everything. Mm -hmm. So that's a a big thing. Love it. Love it. Now, like... uh, so you don't really set time aside per se to review things. You just sort of do it, you know, off the cuff, but you can, you're there. And yep. is it, is that working? It works very well for me. my mm-hmm. associate, you know, is my associate is uh, doing very well. Uh, patients mm-hmm. like, um, doesn't get in over uh, her head. Um, mm-hmm. And when we have questions, we both put our, uh, our heads on it and say, hey, listen, it's a kind of complicated molar endo. You know, mm-hmm. uh, do you want it? I said, I think we should send it out. So we kind of have, you know, a good consensus of before we refer out. Bigger so case selection, well. right? You're helping her with case selection. Right? Oh, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Um, how, about, how, about the, how about handling those challenges, right? Where you think everything went well and the patient's just not either happy or satisfied. That never yeah. happened in my entire life. That's happening. Yeah. Actually, the first thing that comes to mind for me is like dentures, you know, like. Oh, right. <laughs> that's, see, that's the answer right there. Oh, yeah. Where you've done everything, it's right, and they're just not going to be happy. They're so. just, yeah, they're just unhappy or in pain. How about we do the, uh, the verbal the skills? Sen- the sensitive filling that never goes away. Right. Okay. Um, a lot of, I'll be honest with you, we do it. There are those problems in every office, and we are no different than anybody else. Sure. But we're very, very big into the, uh, I, I call it pre-gaming or, or the warm-up. Um, when our patients sit down before we do any procedure, uh, endo, extraction, uh, simple filling, uh-huh. uh, we, we have a consent form for every procedure. Uh-huh. And we tell them, hey, listen, you're going to get our best work. You're going to get 100%. Mm-hmm. You can expect some residual sensitivity you know, for such and such a time. So we find that with, with our consent forms and just that, that little pep talk before, it keeps these things down to a dull rule. Um, we do have, like every other practice, we do operative dentistry. There's going to be a certain amount that are going to turn over to endo. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. And uh, those patients who come back in, some of them are a little upset, but we don't say, hey, we told you so. Uh, we just give them a little friendly reminder to say, hey, listen, you know, before that we're going to make it all right, no matter what. Okay. If needs endo, after we did an MOD, of course, we'll, uh, we'll compensate you uh, for post-core crown. We understand that. 
but we'll do everything we we're going to do everything we can to make this better. You know, compensating. What do you mean? You give them credit for the filling? Yeah, give them credit for the filling. Take something off. You know, yeah. post for free, something like that. It doesn't happen as often as as we think. Um, again, post op calls mean so much. Relationship building means so much. Yeah. You know, ne- never never betray any patient's trust. I tell that to, to everybody. Yeah. And don't be afraid to give them bad news. The truth sets you free. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you just got to be honest. You can't you can't dance around it. And when you get a patient that's up in your grill, and they're like, "Well, you know that that's when you really find out somebody's character." You know, very yeah. simply, you know what they stand for. But if you start hemming and hawing and you don't have an answer, they they see right through it. Their BS meter goes off, like Josh Bernstein calls it. Their BS meter, <laughs> and they yeah. never come back. Yeah. Uh, you, you know what's funny is is you know, men and have we've been doing this a while. You, People ask me, what's your favorite part of uh, dentistry at this point in time? Is it, is it, you know, endo, this, that. It's still comprehensive treatment planning and case presentation. You know, because I think that's where you really, you don't sell yourself. or You really sell your care. You sell your team. You know, uh-huh. your, your whole team's approach to, to quality of care. You know, that, that's, that's where I really, that's what I'm loving at this point in time. And, you know, I want it to be a family. I want it to have a certain feel in, it, in our office. And that's, that's where it begins and that's where it ends. There's no question you can understand that's relationship-driven. People can't understand that from just listening to you talk for a little bit. They're, they're nuts. So let's wrap things up. So we're going to – two last questions. One last question I'm going to ask you. What would your advice be to a doctor who's grown to the point they want to bring an associate in what are a couple of, uh, give me two or three little nuggets that they're going to want to do. Do your due, due, uh, do your due diligence with your uh, associate. Mm-hmm. Um, make sure you share the same values. Mm-hmm. Make sure you know their long-term goals, not their short-term goals. Right. You know, are they using you as a stepping stone, right. which might be great for some arrangements, but what are you, and know your own long-term goals. Right. Make sure you have the same values mm-hmm. uh, and the same level of commitment to quality care. That's where it starts and ends. Okay. Fantastic. All right. Last question. I always ask everybody this one. This is a fun one. It has nothing to do with dentistry. If you could go to any place or time, where would you go and why? Oof. Go to any place and time. Back wow. Can't backwards? be forward. Can't be forward. It's got to be backwards. Yeah. Can't be forward. Well, it would be great. Any place with backwards would be great because I have a lot more hair than I do now. <laughs> so it'd be fantastic. Where would I go? Ha. Huh. I would go to Omaha Beach. I'd want to wow. be an American hero. How's that for cool? You're a brave man. I you know, you want to be a participant work. or you want to be an observant? I want to be a participant. I have a lot of I had a lot of patients who were um, who were World War II veterans who actually you know served. They had a guy who uh, came in. He had, he had one arm. He lost the uh, second wave of D Day. Oh my goodness! Was. And I was I was I was always fascinated with the history, but then when you, you talk to the people, it's just mind boggling. I said, "Boy, I missed out." That's what I always always would want to be, just as good as those guys. Tell you what, that Saving Private Ryan, that first one, that first, uh, that first, that first, you know, what is it, twenty minutes of that? Yeah, 
I was blown away. I, I didn't know if I could stay and watch the rest of it. I was like, holy cow. It was That's real my one-liner. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. our lives are like that. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes the office is like that, right? <laughs> yep. But, well, my friend, I appreciate you. Thanks for coming on. Sonny, uh, thanks for uh, talking to me. I appreciate so, it. Thank you for uh, having send, me. Yeah, send me your info. We'll put it down. Anybody wants to reach out and contact Jerry, please do. Uh, and uh, we'll put a little... Uh, description in there so have a good one sounds great we'll see you too thanks man bye-bye thanks for listening to the fee-for-service dentist podcast if you would like to share your fee-for-service story please fill out our contact form at ffsdentistry.com also be sure to join our fee-for-service dentistry facebook group for help starting your dental membership plan visit dentalmembershipdirect.com and membershipmastercourse.com Finally, for help with in-house financing, visit dentalfinancingdirect.com. And don't forget, your story is what you make of it. This is your name on the door and your reputation on the line. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time.